0: Amen, people of God. We are continuing uh, in our series in the book of Exodus. A series titled "Free at Last." I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter two. <clears throat> I'm going to read the uh, whole chapter in your hearing. So listen to the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of brush, of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance... To know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down uh, the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince? and judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and thought surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs with water their fathers, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father ruled, rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the kings of Egypt, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you this morning would lead us and guide us as we all sit together under the authority of your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray, Lord God, that you would do that work in us, through the power of your spirit and by your word, transform us, Lord. Renew us, strengthen our faith, encourage us, Lord, that we might walk out of this place committed to living the lives that you have called us to live through the power of the spirit of the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 2000, a movie came out entitled The Perfect Storm. It wasn't a great movie, uh, per se, uh, but it told a, a, a fictional story of an actual fishing vessel that got caught in a storm that actually took place in 1991. While the movie centers on this larger fishing vessel, there's a scene in which a smaller boat carrying two women and a male passenger get trapped in this storm. The male captain had completely underestimated the conditions and now Uh, these three people were in the middle of the sea in this small boat in danger of dying. They were in desperate need of being rescued. And of course as as movies go uh, there's a dramatic scene that ensues when the Coast Guard contacted by one of the women on board finally makes it to the small vessel and each of the passengers is uh, rescued in a daring attempt and safely uh, placed on board the helicopter and taken to a Coast Guard ship that is out searching for those in harm's way. But it's another scene that caught my eye that reflects a theme seen in the text before us. Uh, These men who had rescued uh, these folk and brought them to safety uh, to this ship found themselves in need of rescue when their helicopter crashes, having run out of gas in an attempt to save another group uh, of people who are in danger. And so here they were, drifting in the sea in the middle of a storm, and they needed themselves to be rescued. And when the Coast Guard ship makes it to their location and begins to make a daring effort to drag these men aboard the ship, who do we find there helping in the rescue? But the two women who had themselves just been rescued earlier by these very same men. In the story, the rescued become agents of rescue in the lives of others. And as we approach this text this morning, I want to suggest to you that it is this theme of the rescued becoming agents of rescue in the lives of others that is, in fact, in view. Moses, who is drawn out of the waters of the Nile, is being prepared for a vocation of drawing others out of the waters of slavery and affliction and death. In other words, the God who rescues him is preparing him to be a rescuer. And while there are elements of Moses' vocation that are unique, the general call actually will be upon all of God's people whom he is about to rescue from slavery in Egypt, they too, as a rescue people will be set apart to be agents of rescue in the world. But first, but first they must see the lengths to which God will go to set them free. And they are meant to see it in the action first of these three women mentioned in the first part of this story in front of us. Remember that chapter one had ended with a decree from Pharaoh to the whole country. Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Imagine, 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 imagine if you will, for a moment, living not only under cruel oppression and slavery and all its attendant cruelties, but imagine living also under the threat Of having your children, in this case your sons, put to death. Imagine what it must have been like for parents. Imagine what it feels like for marginalized and oppressed peoples in our day. And so Moses's parents had to, like all the Israelite parents, come up with plans of how to protect their sons from this cruelty. And though Moses's father It's not mentioned here. He most certainly was part of the planning. We can deduce that uh, from Hebrews 11 when it tells us in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Amram, who was Moses' father, had to work as a slave and may not have been able to help With the execution of the plan, but was certainly involved in helping to devise one. And so, from Jochebed, who was Moses' mother, preparing a vessel to place Moses in, to Miriam's commitment to guard the vessel while it was in the waters, to Pharaoh's daughter refusing to participate in her father's cruel campaign to Miriam and her mother's wise and heart-wrenching plan to have Jochebed, his mother, nurse him, knowing that one day she would have to give him up, these women show a great deal of care, love, and courage to rescue, to draw out of the waters of affliction this child whom God would one day raise up to be a rescuer of others. And behind all of these human acts, behind all of these human acts of rescue, behind all of these human acts, is the hand of the God of rescue. How how do we know this? How do we know this? Well, I want to note that the term that is used for the vessel that Moses is placed in is the same term that is used for the vessel that Noah built to save the animals and his family from the waters of the flood. Moses wasn't placed in a basket, he was placed in an ark. Moses through using this Hebrew term, the same term used for the ark is signaling that his mother was trusting that the same God who saved the animals, who saved a people for himself who would carry on his plans for human beings in the world might show up and rescue the life of her son as he rested on the Nile River in the ark of her own making. Jochebed believed that God, the God of the Israelites, was a God of rescue, a God committed to drawing out of the waters of affliction those trapped by them and unable to save themselves from them. She believed in the God who saves. And so all her actions to save her son were rooted in her confidence in the God who saves. And while she didn't know it, the one whom God rescued would be his agent, agent of rescue in the lives of others. And every one of us who are in this place today, who have our faith in the Lord, know that our rescue was secured by the greater Moses, the one whom God rescued not from the water, but from death. Jesus suffered the affliction of the cross for our sake, was laid in a tomb for our sake, but God did not leave him there, did not let the waters of that affliction consume him, but sent his spirit and raised his own son from the dead. And God's own son, whom he rescued, became and is the source of rescue for all of those who are trapped under the oppression of sin and death that comes as a result of it. Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our salvation. And in him too, we the people of God have been given a vocation to go out into the world and announce the rescue of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what what does that vocation involve? Or better yet, how does God prepare us for that vocation? Again, while I would argue that Uh, There is uniqueness to Moses' role as deliverer and even more uniqueness to Jesus' role as Savior. There is a general call to all of us to proclaim the rescue that our God brings to all of those who trust in him. And there are principles of being prepared for that call that all of us need to take up. That we actually see in Moses' life that God wants us to see as we are being prepared to be agents proclaiming his rescue in the world. And the first of these is embracing rejection. Embracing rejection. One of the ways God prepares us to announce and proclaim his rescue in the world is through preparing us to embrace rejection. In Hebrews 11, we read this about Moses. Verse 24, by faith, Moses when he was grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In verses 11 through 15 of the text before us, we see this played out in Moses' adult life. Moses, despite being raised as an Egyptian, came to identify with the people of his birth, his own people. Moses' early upbringing would have been in the home actually of his mother. He would have been in her home until he was about three or four uh, while she nursed him. Yet it's also not a stress to believe that although Moses was raised Egyptian, his adoptive mother would also have allowed him or even communicated to him the story of his own people. After all, she named him Moses, which sounds like the Hebrew term for draw out. She named him a name that was parallel to how she discovered him and that was close to the language of his own people. And this was no accident. And since she was already defined the program of her father by keeping him, it's no stress to suggest she would have taught him the story of his own people. However he came to know the story, however it happened, however he came to know the story, Moses came as an adult to identify with his own people, with their misery and with their oppression. And in so doing, he took matters into his own hands and trying to work justice for one of them who was being beaten by an Egyptian, possibly a taskmaster. There's no doubt that he thought in his own mind that he was showing loyalty to the cause of his people by killing this Egyptian. But his plan backfired. When he saw two Hebrews fighting each other, he tried to intervene to call them to loyalty to each other. But he was rejected by them and confronted with their knowledge of his killing this Egyptian. He was rejected He was rejected, watch this, as a latecomer to the cause of his people who who was trying to insert himself as a leader. And perhaps they were equally salty with Moses because his efforts to help them by taking matters into his own hands almost certainly meant more trouble for his people once it was discovered that this Egyptian had been killed. So not only are you a latecomer to the cause, you're also making more trouble for us. And this complaint would be later made by the elders of Israel when Moses attempts to deliver them would indeed create more trouble for them. So here Moses was trying to take up for his own people, trying to rescue them from the injustice of others and from their own injustice to each other. And yet I wanna suggest to you this morning, brothers and sisters, that this rejection is exactly what Moses needs and it is it is exactly what you and I need who are called to be agents of the proclamation of God's rescue in the world it is what Moses needed and it is what you and I need and it's what we need because it's not just listen to me it's not just personal identification With the troubles of this world that make us effective agents of rescue, but the personal experience of those troubles that makes us effective agents of God's rescue. But say it again. It's not just our personal identification with the troubles of the world. It is actually our personal experience of trouble that make us effective agents. Of proclaiming God's rescue in the world. You see, Moses didn't just need to identify with the sufferings of his people to know how to lead them out of it. He needed to go through suffering himself. The leader needed to go through the trouble if he was going to truly identify with, understand, and lead God's people out. And he needed to go through it because he needed to come to understand that his own commitment, his own wisdom, his own strength would not be enough to deliver those who were in trouble. And go through it he would. For as soon as Pharaoh found out about what Moses had done, he made plans to kill him. Moses then had to flee. He had to flee. He became a fugitive. He was forced from everything he knew and had to live in another foreign land. To the degree that we are are rejected in this world, as we try and bring the announcement of God's rescue to the world, it's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for us. To the degree that our attempts to rescue others causes us to be despised, causes us to be persecuted, causes us to be afflicted, causes us to be troubled, is actually good for us. For it may just cause us to stand back and realize that the power for rescue is not ultimately in our hands, but in the hands of the Lord it might just lead us to pray more. It might just lead us to search God's word more. It might just cause us to listen more so that we know how to apply that word of God more effectively. It may cause us to flee our idols, to stop trying to gain the world's pleasures and long and work for the flourishing, not only of ourselves, but for others. To the degree that we experience hardships we, we, as we try to rescue others who are suffering we may just come to understand how truly to empathize, to mourn with those who mourn and to long for God's justice to come on their behalf and to recognize that the power for it ain't in us. It's in God. Moses had to come to understand that his own hands could not work God's salvation His own hands could not work God's rescue. He needed the power of God to be at work in him if he was going to be able to be a leader in proclaiming the rescue of God to others. Amen, people of God. So this call to embrace rejection as a means of being prepared to be agents of the proclamation of God's rescue in this world, it means, brothers and sisters, not growing weary in regard to the challenges we face in this world. The writer of Hebrews speaking to Christians on this very point says this in chapter 12, verse three. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. And trust me, my brothers and sisters, I know and many of you know from personal experience how difficult the hardship can be as we try to live for the Lord in this world, announcing the rescue that is in relationship with him. But part of what enables us to keep going, part of what enables us to keep going is a consideration of our Lord's own example. And considering it, listen to me, isn't just about thinking about it. It is about believing that what God did through what Jesus suffered secured our salvation. And also through the power of the Spirit, who is now in each and every one of us who believes he has given us power to endure whatever we have to, to be those agents to proclaim his rescue to the rest of the world. Are you tired? Then I would encourage you to consider Jesus. I would encourage you to consider Jesus, to consider that what God did through his suffering is your salvation. But it's not only your salvation, it's the power that you need to endure the hardships that are in front of you. Moses didn't survive his trials because he was great. He survived them because God was faithful. Faithful through the rejection to sustain Moses for the greater calling he was about to place on Moses' life. God's preparing us to be agents of the proclamation of his rescue in the world. And part of that means for us embracing rejection as the means that God actually uses to teach us that the power for this is not in us, it's in him. Embracing rejection, embracing rejection, embracing, embracing our status as foreigners. Embracing rejection, embracing our status Our status as foreigners. God prepared Moses for the vocation of being an agent of rescue. Through his experience of rejection, he does the same with us. But he also prepared Moses through the experience of being an alien in this world, a foreigner. Uh, Listen to these verses again. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the trolls with water to water their flocks. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So Moses was content To dwell with the man, and and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. Watch this. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Think about this. Israel was in Egypt, which was not their home. They had been forced through a famine, and now were forced to remain there through oppression and slavery. Moses, an Israelite by birth, was forced not only out of the home, the only home he had known through his attempts at rescuing one of his people and Pharaoh's threat to kill him as a result of what he had done, now Moses was yet again a foreigner in a foreign land. Despite his upbringing, he was a foreigner in Egypt and now a foreigner again in Midian. Indeed at one point, He was a foreigner among his own people who saw him as more of an Egyptian than an Israelite. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Moses' life experience, his whole life experience was as a foreigner. And I want to suggest to us today that if we're going to be agents of the proclamation of God's rescue for those in this world, we must must be so as those who embrace our status as foreigners. What do I mean? One of the hallmarks of our Christian testimony can be found in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory Paul's point isn't that Christians should detach themselves from the world rather it is that Christians living in the world should do so as those who are citizens of another world I, 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 I I wish I had some witnesses (laughs) this morning. Your your, your actual citizenship is in eternity, is in heaven. And thus the way you live your life in this world should actually be as a foreigner. You actually, you actually are a citizen of another place. (sighs) Indeed, we are to bring into this world in the way we live, in the way we think, in the way we act. We are to bring into this world the blessings of that other world of which we are citizens. It is to live in this world as those who know the promise of a world that will be rescued from everything that is evil, everything that is sinful, everything that is wicked, everything that is unjust. This is why the writer of Hebrews could say, of those who had endured the hardships and troubles of this world. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. A better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. The problem with us is that we love the world. The the problem with us even as Christians, is that we love the world. We love the pleasures of this life at times more than we do the blessings of what is coming. We want comfort, we want wealth, we want privilege and the happiness that this life holds out to us. And while it is true, that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. The elevation of that enjoyment above the calling to announce the blessings of God's new world in this present world is the problem that many of us as Christians have. And we share it, we share it because we know, we share it because we know that when we do, the world will treat us as foreigners. When we live in the world as citizens of heaven, we will be treated by the world as foreigners. We will be treated by the world as strangers. And here's the truth. We don't want to be foreigners. We don't want to be strangers. We we don't want to be rejected by the culture and by the world around us. We want the pleasures that it holds out to us. But did you catch that? When I read it from Hebrews 11 earlier, Moses had to make a choice. Am I going to associate and identify with Egypt or with this foreign strange people? (laughs) The call to be in the world, the call to be in the world, but not shaped by it, is one that Christians must do battle with day-to-day. From familial, national, and cultural identities to news and social media platforms, to academic and political institutions, Christians are confronted with the ongoing challenges of not being shaped by the world. We are constantly confronted with embracing the truth That we are now in Christ, strangers and foreigners in this world. And in context, in context, embracing this status of strangers and foreigners means identifying with that community of strangers and foreigners that God calls his church. And especially with those in that community that are afflicted, hurting, in distress, oppressed and poor. The world, apart from God, would tell us otherwise. Would tell us that our security is that is in identifying with community as the world defines it. Which is often, which is often along homogenous lines. Even, watch this, in multi-ethnic spaces. Yet the church draws its identity from bringing strangers together from bringing strangers together and giving those strangers in Christ a unified mission to identify with and care about the weakest in their midst the gospel brings foreigners and strangers together and then teaches those foreigners and strangers how to care about the weakest in their midst which is very different from the way the world does, community. You know why in our flesh we wrestle with the commands of Christ? It's because Christ's commands won't let us rest with the world's comforts without confrontation. (laughs) His commands don't allow us to be at home with what the world calls home. We, 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 we can't rest. J- Jesus won't let us rest in our wealth. He, he won't let us rest in our comfort. He, he won't let us rest in our homogenous communities. He, he won't let us rest in our privilege. Moses, despite all that he was surrounded with in Egypt, could not rest. He, he, could, he couldn't rest. And being identified with what it meant to be an Egyptian because he knew, he knew, he knew that true community was in the middle of God's people who are strangers and foreigners in a world (laughs) that doesn't want (laughs) their vision of what home really is, which is God's vision of what home really is. And so Moses became one of God's strangers, one of God's foreigners. And that's a choice that we have to learn to embrace every day. We must resist, in fact, the temptation to reject Christ's commands for the comfort of the world's vision of home. Ah. So we must stay connected. I want to encourage some of you all today because I know some of you are wrestling with the church, man. I know some of you are like, man, I don't know about this church thing. (laughs) These folk, ah, ah, from the leadership to the laity, I don't know about this church thing, man. the church is the home of God's strangers and foreigners who he is bringing together to show the world a different vision of home than what the world currently embraces. When Jesus says to his church, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He is saying that. He is saying that in the context of what he is about to do. I'm about to take a bunch of strangers. I'm about to take a bunch of strangers. And put them in a family together. And teach them how to love each other. And to teach them especially how to love the weakest among them. And so we must stay connected to the church, that family of strangers, that family of foreigners, to seek out in the church those who are weak in order to identify with them and to encourage them. Amen, people of God. So, so God, God prepares us. He, he prepares us to be agents of, uh, of the proclamation of his rescue in the world. First of all, by teaching us how to embrace rejection. And then by teaching us to embrace our status as strangers and foreigners in the world. But then also, he does this by teaching us how to embrace tears. How to embrace tears. There are lots of tears in the Bible. Do you know that? Have you ever read the Bible and paid attention to how many tears are in the Bible? In the circumstances... Well, the people of Israel in the text before us tell us that Israel experienced a great deal of tears during their time in Egypt. But their tears weren't the first, wouldn't be the last. Indeed, their own circumstances, their own circumstances of slavery were not the first and wouldn't be the last. Tears are all throughout the Bible, and all throughout the history of human beings in this world, after the fall of Adam and Eve, and the sin that their rebellion brought into the world. No wonder, no wonder, no wonder, the closing book of the Bible speaks to a time when there will be no more tears. The the closing book of the Bible takes time to point out that a day is coming where there will be no more tears because the old order of sin and death will pass away and the new order of life and peace will be established. In verses 43 to 45, Moses says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry of rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Moses, Moses no doubt records this. Because there are, these these are words, these are words that Moses himself heard from God. Indeed, Moses will directly quote God. Speaking these words to him. When he calls him to go to Pharaoh with this call to let the Israelites go free. And why does Moses do this? Why does he record these words about the tears of God's people, about their crying, about their groaning to God? Why is God's ultimate knowledge of his people's cries such an important point to emphasize? It is because a huge part, listen, of being an agent announcing God's rescue in this world is both speech and a lifestyle that exhibits this deep concern of God for the plight of suffering in this world, especially the suffering among his own people. Our God is the God who bears tears, who remembers tears and who wipes tears away. The tears that sin and suffering have brought into this world. God does not ignore the tears of those who cry out to him for help. He comes to them, listen to me this morning, with a message of hope and a message of help, a message of relief and a message of rescue. It is him of whom we are told in Psalm thirty-four fifteen, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. It is him of whom it is said in Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? It is him of whom it is said in Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The ministry, the ministry, The ministry of announcing God's rescue is a ministry of announcing God as the God who bears, as the God who remembers, and as the God who wipes away tears. And we do this by setting ourselves in proximity to those who mourn. This is what God was preparing Moses for. This is what he has called us to as those who will one day share... And the blessing of God wiping away our tears. How many of you are grateful that that day is coming? (laughs) A day is coming where all of your tears will be wiped away by Almighty God. In the meantime, you know what God tells you in Romans to the Apostle Paul? Weep with those who weep. I, I called you out as my people. I called you out to be the, the, the agents of the proclamation of my rescue in this world. And part of what I want you to learn how to do is weep, mourn, grieve, cry with those who cry. That, that seems like a strange command, doesn't it? Cry? I thought you would want the opposite. I thought you would want me to go tell those folks to stop crying. <laughs> T- to tell those folks, it's gonna be okay. So, 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 stop crying. So, stop crying because you're making me cry. Just stop. No, you know what God says? You know what part of God's call is on your life? Go weep. Go sit with people. Go, go be in proximity to people who are grieving and mourning and grieve and mourn with them. I don't need you to say anything. In fact, can I encourage you a little bit? Sometimes just just shut up. Don't say anything. Grieve. Weep. Cry. Mourn. Because you know what that communicates? I hear. I see I know. The call here actually for all of us is to receive the truth that God sees your tears. Don't, don't believe the lie that Satan tells you. Don't believe the lie that human beings bound up in their evil tell you. Don't believe the lie that your own heart sometimes tells you. God sees every tear you cry and it is intimate, he is intimately, intimately acquainted with your groanings. How do I know it? Just listen to the scriptures I quoted earlier. Let those words be true and every other word, the word from the evil one, the word, the, the, the word from the world, the word from your flesh, let that be the lie <laughs> and God's word be the truth because, they, because, because it is in regards to this point. Our God is not a distant God. He isn't an uncaring God. He isn't a dismissive God. He is the God whom Moses describes as hearing the groanings of his people for rescue. The God who became deeply moved by those cries and eventually came down and rescued them. The call here again isn't really to do anything, it's to receive the word of God is true. Take that word in your actions to others. One more thing here. Can I just help y'all this morning? You can't wear God out with your tears. I'm gonna say it again. You cannot wear God out with your tears. You know how many thousands of people We're crying out to God in these days. Do you know how many thousands upon thousands of people have cried out to him daily throughout history? Do you know how many thousands upon thousands of people are crying out to him daily across this world? And he hears every single one of them. And he doesn't get tired. You and I get tired. We can wear each other out. We can't wear the Lord out. He hears all of them. And he doesn't grow weary in doing so. Brothers and sisters, God has rescued us. He's rescued us by his power. Through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on our behalf. And having rescued us, having 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 like Moses drawn us out of the waters of affliction of our slavery to sin and death, having rescued us, he now calls us out into the world to be agents of the proclamation of his, anybody been rescued this morning? Anybody glad that you're rescued this morning? that you're set free, that you're no longer in those waters of affliction as it relates to your slavery to sin and death. You have been set free. And so this vocation, this calling now to carry out this call to be agents of the proclamation of his rescue in this world, it means means embracing rejection. Embracing our status as foreigners in this world, and it means embracing tears, but all of it, all of it, so that God might teach us through the power of the Spirit how to be exactly who he's calling us to be in the world. May God in Christ give us the power to walk out into this world, embracing our call to proclaim his rescue that has come, that has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, people of God.